This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Oh, I just love the praise. The grace is enough. Good morning. Here I am again. You haven't seen me for a while. Thank you. So we'll be in, uh, oh, kids can go to class. I should never forget that since I teach the mid-high. So. One of those days sometimes, get a little distracted. So we're going to be in Psalm 5 today, if you'll turn your Bibles there. So I was thinking this weekend about some of the TV preachers over the years. I think we in this room, at least I hope that we in this room, know that these guys are just preaching to line their pockets with money. But then I got a little curious. You know, minds kind of wander around sometimes, and I got curious about the net worths of these guys. I was amazed. The net worths of most of these guys teaching a prosperity gospel on TV ranges at the low end, generally, $100 million. That's their net worth. And some were well over $300 million. In fact, there was one guy a couple of years ago, he got kind of hounded, I think, because he wanted his congregation to buy him a $75 million airplane. And I think they did. These guys, they, they swindle, I mean, they make a lot of money, tons of money. And people see their success and follow them for their biblical counsel. It saddened me. And it made me angry when I started reading this and started thinking about these guys, their wickedness. People who follow them, many of them just don't have much money, right? And so they, they follow them thinking that if they give them money, they'll get rich. They'll pay for their houses. You know, they'll pay their bills. So, you know, that's one of the reasons that in just about every chapter in the New Testament, we're warned about false teachers. So now, let's, let's see what we can see in the truth of Psalm 5 this morning and see where it takes us. Before we get started, let me pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now. Lord God, we thank you for your word that upholds us, that strengthens us, that grows us closer to you, Lord. We thank you for your word that changes us, that gives us a new heart, that opens our minds up to what you you have for, for us in this word, Lord, that, that just humbles us 
to your power and your strength. Father, I'm, I'm amazed always and, and uh, humbled. Father, I, I pray that you would open our ears this morning to your word, that you would grow us in it, that you would uh, give us anchors in it, Lord, that you would anchor our feet in your word, that we may be changed by it, that we may see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get ready to get into Psalm 5, I wanted us to, to step back a little bit. So I've already preached on the first four psalms, and not everybody was here. Some people saw every single one of them. But so I wanted to kind of step back into these and, and see where we've been. So Psalm 1 gave us the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous man doesn't take counsel from the wicked. The Lord knows the righteous, and the wicked perish. And in Psalm 2, we saw another contrast, didn't we? The kings and the rulers of the earth took counsel against the, the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed can't be conquered. We saw that. The blessed take refuge in the Lord, and the wicked are dashed into pieces like a potter's vessel. And then in Psalm 3, the way to salvation and is considered a, a, a morning psalm because it, it talks about doing these things in the morning. Enemies are rising against David and he calls for the Lord to save him, to put a shield around him. He calls for the Lord to break the teeth of the wicked. And ultimately, salvation belongs to the Lord. And in Psalm 4, just a few weeks ago, or maybe a month or so ago, was a pathway to peace. And, and in that, we saw that it was an evening psalm. And not just that. That was the first one that showed us that it was for the evening worship, public worship. Because it was a song that, that brought flutes in or some instruments. And in that, David calls on God to answer and hear his prayer. He complains about men having vain words and seeking after lies. But he knows how the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord hears when he calls. And finally he calls the Lord to make him dwell in safety. What I want you to see in this is the repetition the, the, the themes that are, are happening throughout these psalms of, of, and the continued contrast with the wicked and the, and, the, and the good, the righteous and the evil, and the leading and punishment for the wicked enemies of the Lord, as well as the blessings of salvation, refuge, and safety for the righteous. God hears our prayers. And not only that, in each one of those psalms that we've done already, we saw how Jesus fulfilled those psalms. So now let's go to our passage, Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. 
Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast life, love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions against them, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. And those who love your name may exalt you. For you bless the righteousness, the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Thank you, Father, for your word. So as we read that, I hope that you could see that this, this psalm is a lament. But there's some imprecatory portion of it. And you may be asking right now, what's imprecatory? What's an imprecatory psalm? Imprecatory psalms are those psalms that imprecate. Don't you just love it when they, when they put the word in there to give you a definition? So those are the psalms that, they, that call to judgment, calamity, or curses upon one's enemies or the enemies of God. We probably do it more often than we realize it, just in our day-to-day -day speech, you know. You're driving down the freeway, the guy cuts you off. What do you want to say? I hope he gets a ticket. I hope he, I may hope that he gets in an accident. You get angry. That's imprecation. You hope that a judgment falls on that person. Now once again, like the, the last psalm that we saw, Psalm 4, we see the instruction before the first verse. To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Now this tells us, just like in the last psalm, that this was a song of worship. And this would have been, if you look at verse 3, you'll see that it's in the morning that you hear my voice. So this is considered a morning psalm because of that. You'll see that in your Bible, you already, there's already been an attempt to break it up into five sections. I kind of condensed that to two sections. And I think it'll become clearer as we delve into them and see what they had to say. So I divided this psalm up into to two parts. Part one is verses one through seven, hear me. And in part two, verses eight through 12, lead me. So let's start off in part one. 
Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness, evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, you hate all evildoers, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. If you haven't already noticed, the Psalms draw a lot of emotions in us. Hear the spiral of the voice of the psalmist in repetition in these first two verses. What does repetition signify? It signifies importance. It's an emphasis to the meaning and emotion of this passage. Give ear to my words. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. These are all ways in which we pray as our situations grow worse. We start off politely with, please hear my words. And then before long, as our situation dives down a little bit, we start to press God to be considered as our words turn more emotional into groanings. When finally, we're begging God to hear us. We're crying for help. Put yourself in the shoes of the psalmist as he prays. First, we hear, let's say, we hear that our friend is sick. Seems like that's happened a lot over the last year, hasn't it? You've had friends or family members get sick. So we, we ask God, please, please, dear Lord, help that person. And before long, we hear that they've gone into the hospital. What do you want to do? You, you start groaning, Lord, Lord, please, please, Work in this person. Help them. Help the doctors help them. And finally, as things seemingly get worse, we cry out for help. Do you feel that emotion? We cry out for help for God to save this person. It doesn't always happen with sick people. You know, maybe you've been scammed out of your life savings by one of those TV uh, preachers. Where is your next food, your food going to come from? Are you going to have rent money? So you cry out to God. You pray first, and then you groan, and then you cry out to God. Or maybe your character has been slammed. Maybe somebody has, has questioned and attacked your character, and now you don't know about your job. You don't know about your spouse. Are you, what's going to happen with the kids? These are everyday things that happen to every one of us throughout our lives. Maybe they all happen. And it drives us to pray, to go deep into our prayer with God, doesn't it? David went through a lot of periods that these things could be attributed to. Remember Absalom, his favorite son, tried to commit a coup and have him killed? 
tried to kill him himself. Or maybe when Saul, when Saul tried to kill David. All these things happen, and that's where the Psalms lead us into their, our deep emotion. You'll notice here as well that the great and powerful King David recognizes his covenant relationship with the Lord as both his king, both his king and his God. He recognizes that he is subordinate to God. That's humbling if you're a king. So to look there in verse 9, or in verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. Even with all that David is going through, he trusts that God hears him. He knows, he says, I know you hear me in the morning. And he shows obedience. He sits down and he, does a, he prepares a sacrifice for him. And he prays. And then he watches. What were most sacrifices for? They were repentance for sin that they had committed. They were to pay their debt for the sin against God. And then he says, I watch. So this is like a, this, the word here is used for people who are in watchtowers, waiting, watching for, for the enemy to come across. He's waiting with expectation of an answered prayer. Even with all that he's apparently gone through, all the suffering, he feels, he shows his obedience, doesn't he? He shows his faith. Oh Lord, you hear me as I pray. I'll sacrifice and wait for an answer. You may ask, well, why does he do this? Well, it tells us, starting in verse 4. Because, he says, in verse 4 begins with the word for, and a lot of times it's just easier to say because there, because it makes sense. Have you ever tried to explain something to someone, and, and you started explaining, and as you were explaining something, you realize that you're not giving enough detail? Maybe it's um, directions or something. You, you, so as you're explaining it, you start kind of stepping back and, and explain a little more detail and then step back and explain a little more detail. You keep trying to refine your thought as you do these explanations. And that's kind of what we have here. Starting in verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. In fact, evil may not dwell with you. No, more than that. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, and you hate all evildoers. No, maybe that's not enough, is it? You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Well, maybe that'll do. You know, it went from just a little bit to realizing as he went through this, that the Lord God doesn't just happen to have, be okay with somebody standing in, you know, in his path that's, that's evil. No, it's more than that. God hates. He destroys those who speak lies. He abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You know, we hear many times that 
God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. That's not what it says here. No person has an adequate conception of the evil of sin. No person in here has the adequate, an adequate conception of each of our sin. Only God comprehends it because it's so vile to Him. Those who love it won't stand in His sight. Those who do it won't be heard you know, for their petitions. And they will all fall down before terrible judgments. But then there's a but. Verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. David was apparently away from home and, and wanted to get back to the tent of the Lord. He says, because you have steadfast love for me, I will enter your house. As I said before, this could be when Absalom was chasing him down. For when he left the city, I don't know if you remember this, when he left the city, he, took, he didn't take the Ark of the Covenant with him. He was away from the tent of, of, of God. So remember that this was also his beloved son that wanted to kill him. Not only that, he says, but even though I'm king, I will bow down. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Not because of anything I've done, but because of your abundant, steadfast love. So we've seen here that David's having a pretty crappy day. Right? It's so bad that he's crying for help. But he knows that God hears him. And so he, he performs a sacrifice and he waits for answers for his prayers. And he knows that God is holy. You know, this, this reminds me so much of the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Oh, Father, how hallowed is your name. He knows how hallowed God's name is. So now let's move into our second stanza. Also in three parts. And for obvious reasons, I've, I've labeled it lead me. This is David's request for, for his prayer. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. David's asking to be led to safety here, isn't he? Remember, David had a lot of enemies, both in and outside of Israel. The righteousness of God here is to be understood as the faithfulness and mercy in defending and preserving people. This is God helping people, his people. And it was common in those days that if you had enemies, you wanted to walk down straight roads because otherwise your enemies would be waiting around the curves for you to, to knock you on the head. So... And in this case, the wicked would, 
would wait for him. And David wants God to make his way straight so he doesn't have to worry about these traps. And those are the, that's the way God is. He wants to make our way straight. It pleases God. And in verse 9, it begins with four again. So, once again, we, if we put in because, we essentially are saying, lead me to safety, O Lord, in the way that pleases you, because there is no truth in their mouth. They are liars. There's no truth in these people's mouth. They're liars. Not only that, but their inmost self is destruction. Their inmost self is, he's talking about the heart there. And they have a heart for destruction. And their throat, their throat is an open grave. From a corrupt heart comes a foul mouth. This is his description of his enemies. These enemies are liars. They're corrupt through, through and through to the heart. It's all about them and they, they leave a, a path of destruction in their path as they get go and do all the things that they want to do. Can you smell the stench? We often will pray when we start our worship or sometimes places within the worship. We'll, we'll talk about how we want our, our worship and our praise to be a, a sweet smell to God, don't we? And when I think of that, I'm always brought back to um, honeysuckle. The sweet smell of being around a honeysuckle bush. Or sometimes around a, a Russian olive, you know, when it blooms and, and you get that sweet aroma. And that's not here, is it? This is totally different, isn't it? Not many here know what the smell of an open grave is. Jewish law, even now, requires people to be buried quickly because they don't embalm. So can you imagine what it smells like if they don't close the grave up? So this reminded me of something when I was thinking about this. I remember as a kid, a friend and I were walking through a pasture on a hot summer day. And we came across a dead cow. It didn't really stink. Now this cow had been there for many days in the summer sun. I'm not sure if any of you have seen that before, but they, they blowed up. Right? So now, we're a couple of young boys. What do boys do? You got to pop that thing. Right? Now we were smart enough to stand back and throw a few rocks and see if we could pop it. But, as you probably know, cow's leather is pretty tough. But we were up for the challenge. So then it's, let's find a stick. Right? Now, my friend was the successful one. When it popped, and the putrid air and, and some bits came out, we instantly regretted <laughs> what we had done. This is a stench you smell for days. Not unlike, maybe, the smell of a skunk. 
And it's a stench that stays with you for quite a while. This is a foulness that is a stench to God. These people also flatter with their tongues, don't they? And in all flattery, there is deceit. Proverbs even goes as far as saying in, in chapter 29, verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. It's a trap. So now, when you start talking to your friends and they flatter you, be aware that it's a trap. Now, these are David's enemies, and these are the enemies of God. These men are liars. They have corrupt hearts. They're intent on the destruction of others for their own gain. Y'all may know people like this in your workplace or your neighborhood. You may work with people like this and not realize it, or you may realize it because a lot of times as, as we grow in God's word, those things become more and more obvious to us, don't they? There's nothing new under the sun. And the psalm was as current to them then as it is to us now. Now we turn to verse 10. This is the imprecation of the psalm. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. Now we see whose David's enemies are and what he once done with them. These could be his own counselors for that matter. Remember they turned against him as Absalom was trying to do his coup attempt on him. These words are reminiscent of Psalm 2. Verse 2 where he says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? He wants God to punish these guys. He wants God to condemn them for their transgressions. They have rebelled, and David wants them cast out. These are wicked, evil men who turn their backs towards God, obviously ungodly men, ungodly men out for their gain, Men who are enemies of not just David, but they're God's enemies. And then we come to verse 11. But. And here again we see the contrast of the evil and the good. But let all who take refuge in, your, in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This is the ultimate result of God leading men in righteousness. These are those who love the name of God and who exalt him. They are called righteous and blessed with favor like a shield. They take refuge in him. They rejoice and they sing ever. They ever sing for joy. So now, in our first stanza, we saw 
David is our example. He's our example in his suffering, his crying out in prayers to God, and then showing his obedience and faith as he gives a sacrifice to God and watches and waits for answers. He knows he can count on God because of God's holiness and steadfast love. But through the abundance of God's steadfast love, he will enter God's house of worship and worship. And then in the second stanza, we hear his prayer request, asking to be led to safety from his enemies, asking God to cast out his enemies who are God's enemies, and finally, asking that all who take refuge in God rejoice and sing ever for joy over their protection and blessing of favor. So to them then, David was an example for them to, in their own struggles. Prayer, obedience, patience, and refuge. We see in this psalm a description of those who God condemns, don't we? In verses 4 through 6, we just read seven different ways of describing these wicked people. And we read six ways of describing what the Lord God thinks of these people. All of these people are described as rebels to God. You know, Paul seemed to recognize this too. He cited verse 9 of our psalm in Romans 3, 13, in his description of the whole world. So let's turn there. Let's turn over to chapter, thir or chapter 3, verse 13. You'll see the title to that section as no one is righteous. No, not one. So let's pick it up in the last sentence in verse 9. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Just like those TV preachers I mentioned earlier, they deceive to get people to think if they give their money to them, they'll receive money as well. Common robbers, false teachers, tickling people's ears to get a buck. What they preach is a stench to God. Rotting flesh, stinking to high heaven. Men who turn their backs on God and on God's word. What are we to do? Like David in our psalm, we don't like those people, do we? We think of them as our Enemies, we, we can't sacrifice as David did back then. So, uh-oh. We fit this, don't we? But Paul has an answer for that. So if we go down a little bit further in verse 21. 
21 through 26, he says, But now, but now, beginning to like those buts, huh? But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Did you catch that in verse 23 and 24? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption of Christ Jesus. There is no need for us to sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross to redeem us from our sins. Much like David had to do sacrifices on a regular basis, we don't have to do that. We had one sacrifice by God's grace. By God's grace, we are justified. We are justified by His grace. One justification, our justification is a gift, a free gift, just for faith in Christ Jesus and what he did on the cross. If you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, and maybe you're hearing this for the first time in a way that, that you can understand it, know that it isn't by accident. And when we're done this morning, reach out to someone around you or to a deacon or an elder Ask questions. But now, for those who are enemies of, of God, Revelation 21, 8 speaks to them. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, there that is again. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You don't want to be in that category. So this psalm is a lament psalm. It describes for us our human struggles and a cry out to God for help. And then there's always some expression of trust and gratitude at the end of a lament psalm. These psalms encourage us. Don't they encourage you in our walk with Christ? They cause us to rejoice in what God has done for us. What God has done for us. We were rebels. We were sinners. And we were given a gift the gift of His grace to love us, to bring us into His fold, 
There's really not a whole lot beyond that, is there? Because we can't do anything because it's all given to us by Christ. They also encourage us to go to God with our concerns. Prayer. We're encouraged to prayer. We're encouraged to pray for everything that we go through, not just when we're sad, but also when we're happy in our joy. So pray, rejoice, and sing for joy and exult in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord God, we thank you that we can see from 3,500 years ago that you had a plan. We can see that you still have steadfast love for us. We can see by the examples that were set forth a long time ago, Lord, that you still love us. You still protect us. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have done on the cross. For Christ being obedient, going to the cross for us. Lord, we are humbled by all that you have done for us. We pray, Father, that you would keep growing us in your word. We, we pray that we can tell others what Christ has done for them as well, and they will hear it, and they will understand, and will be drawn into your fold. We pray that you would not only open our eyes to these people, but put them in our path, Lord. Put them in our path. And we thank you, God, for your grace, your mercy in our rebellion and the saving faith that you provided us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let's stand and continue our worship.